Howdy, memes. Welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show. Welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show. We are live on a Wednesday night. It is 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, for those of you on the West Coast with my friend Jake Cormier, what time is it out there? Oh, it's 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock and all is ready to rock. Jesse's out there as well. Unfortunately, Erica's not with us tonight. She has a bit of a migraine, so mm. she's taking the night off, uh, which is all right because you've got the rest of us. And we're here to talk about bum, 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 Kingdom the Rush. game. <laughs> We could do that. You want to talk about Kingdom Rush? That'd be fun. So uh, in Designing the Game, Designing the Game is one of our weekly segments uh, where we talk literally about designing games. Um, and usually we have a specific game in mind, but tonight, because our special guest is Jay Cormier, we are going to discuss more and more about playtesting. Uh, so we're carrying on from where we left off with John Brieger and going into Designing the Game. Now... Jay is running a campaign right now on Kickstarter. What's the name of it, Jay, and what are we doing? <laughs> it's the uh, Fail Faster Playtesting Journal. So you can uh, check that out on Kickstarter at uh, failfaster.ca slash Kickstarter is a quick uh, way to get there. And it's a playtesting journal for game designers. I will guide you to take the notes that you need to take in order to become better playtesters and better game designers. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And so um, you are how many days How many days are left? There are... Uh, I think it's eight, eight, seven, seven days. Seven days week. left. One week. One, One week. week left. And you are very, very close to quadrupling, if I'm not mistaken, quadrupling yeah. your, oh, that's, what, why yeah, am I three. this window? That's the wrong window. Don't show that window. Where yeah. is that window? <laughs> yeah, we're at like 360% or something like that. So the funding goal. That's great. That's pretty yeah, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And and to tie the Fail Faster Journal into the designing the game theme of of this segment, one cool thing about it is that it is kind of a game, isn't it, Jay? <laughs> it is. Thank you for calling that out. Yeah, I tried to uh, do something a little different um, with it in the sense that uh, there are I've identified about 10 key behaviors in the journal that I think if you follow these 10 behaviors, it'll help improve your habits and make you a better uh, play tester. Uh, when you're playtesting your games. And as you de demonstrate these behaviors, they kind of like, they're like little progress bars and you kind of shade them in as you do it. And then whenever you get to one of these badges in the playtesting book, you get to go to the front and and uh, shade in uh, one of these badges or now because we actually um, did get the stretch goal, they are now stickers. So you're gonna get stickers. And so I wanted to emulate that in the Kickstarter campaign. And similarly, the stretch goals isn't just, hey, you hit this target and we're gonna get an, an extra thing. It's uh, when, when we, uh, we have progress bars for a bunch of different metrics. And whenever we get a high enough, there's, we unlock a badge. And when we get enough badges, we have a poll and the, the backers, the community get to vote on which stretch goals they want to add in. So it's pretty, uh, pretty different, pretty cool. And it's weird because I don't even know as the creator of this campaign, what this journal is going to end up looking like by the end, because it depends what they vote in. Yeah. I think that's and, really the neatest thing. And, what, and has any of the things they voted in so far surprised you? Yeah, they, it totally surprised me because I, each stretch goal costs a certain number of badges. So when we vote for the first thing, Hey, do you want this elastic? Yes or no? Cause we got five badges and that's how much it costs. You can either say, yes, let's get it and spend the badges or no, let's save them for something bigger. They said they voted majority voted to save. It. And then later, the next day we had 12 badges. I'm like, oh, you can have any four of these. Do you want to you, you want to catch one of them in or do you want to uh, save it for the last stretch goal? And they all saved it for the last stretch goal, which was stickers. And that was like literally the most expensive of the options. I'm like, oh, that'll be like down the road kind of thing. And like, nope, that's the first thing they went after is these stickers. Yeah, I went but after I, these 16 badges. 
Yeah, 16 yeah. badges for the stickers. And I'm actually pretty excited about it. I just, on an update uh, yesterday or two days ago, um, shared what the sticker page is going to look like. And it's it's pretty cool because it has, all obviously, all these uh, stickers that you see for the badges, but there's tons more space. So you'll notice that there's a spot up here for a badge. Uh, this is where you get to write in the quantity of badges you've earned when you progress to a next journal. You'd actually write in, okay, I got seven badges, I got 12 badges. But then there's stickers that actually let you level up as a game designer. It's pretty cute. So you get from novice to, you know, whatever the, the levels are, senior, sophomore, this kind of stuff, master, grandmaster, legend kind of thing uh, as you progress. So that's kind of funny. Very cool. Very cool. So um, tell us, Jay, like, who are you and, and why should we listen to you about this game design stuff? I'm the taller half of the Ben Boozle brothers. You totally are. Yeah. That's a, that's uh, a low bar. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I've uh, uh, all of my uh, published games currently have been designed with Sen, and uh, that's changed because I just had a campaign on Kickstarter last month for In the Hall of the Mountain King with a, another designer named Graham Johns, which did very well, and very happy about that, and very excited yeah, about it coming awesome. out. Yeah, and then of course, Sen and I have a game coming out next month on Kickstarter called Complex City. Coincidentally and awesomely. Both of those last two games I mentioned featuring art by the lovely Quan Chai Mariah. So I'm super blessed and lucky to have uh, have him do art for two of my games. It's great, fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, I teach game I teach game design at the Vancouver Film School. I've been doing that for the last six years. So that's um, some of the actual ideas for this journal came from actually that that class. Other than that, that's I guess that's me. And I have two kids, two twins, two year old twins. Very fun, very fun. Uh, hello, Peter. Have you learned anything about playtesting from being a parent? From well, yeah, you're pretty much all always failing uh, quite fast when you are a parent. So in that sense, yes. <laughs> always right. learning what not to do. So tell us about the the mantra of failing faster. What's mm. that all about? Why should we do that? Why should we want to fail? I think we all are in the game design biz understand that game design is an iterative process and we understand that no game comes out of your mind fully baked and perfect and this is the best game ever interesting so because no game comes out fully baked you know that you're going to have to play test it and you're going to have to play test it figure out what works what isn't working so that you can go back to your, your computer or whatever and uh tweak it and make it better and so you want to get there soon and as fast as possible and it really came from um I talked to one, this was a while ago, a long time ago, I talked to one uh, game designer and he and he talked to me and he's like, okay, what do I do next with my game? I'm like, oh, well, what, what are you at? Where, where is it at? I haven't seen it yet or whatever. So I'm like, what's where? What's going on with it? He's like, he's got, I've, I've spent so much time. I got it all balanced. I got the spreadsheet and all the math is perfect. And all the, like, I spent so much time figuring out, got some art and all this stuff laid out. I'm like, okay, what are your play testers saying? He's like, oh no, I haven't play tested yet. I'm like, what? I haven't, yeah, I haven't play tested. I'm like, oh, well. And he spent like, I don't know how many hours, dozens of hours, like getting everything ready. And I'm like, oh my goodness, dude, you you got to fail faster. You have to get to that, get it out into playtesters' hands as soon as possible so they can play around with it and figure out what's broken, find where the fun is and follow that fun and make a game. That's an interesting point because um, I've been having this discussion on one of the forums about somebody Somebody said, you know, what do you do to, um, if you have a good idea and a good premise in your head, how do you get it to the next step? Kind of is what they were asking. And I said, well, you just put it on the table. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, yes, but I want I, I want to do that less. Like they, they want to, they don't want to have to make every prototype was really their argument. They're like, how do I know that it's good? How do I know it's good just from a premise? And I kind of still said, well, no matter what, you're still <laughs> going to make it. So why don't you just make it? Uh, it's yep. this funny, it's this really funny situation 
Um, it's like, are you trying to avoid the work or are you just worried that it's not good enough? How about you just find out, right, through failing faster? And there's thousands, like we have thousands of ideas uh, between the three of us. Like I know literally because I have them all written down that we have hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of ideas that we've never brought to the table. Um, not because they're bad, we just don't know. And we do need to make them fail at some point in order to see if we can go forward. But we, the ones that we've picked to, to make, why did we pick those ones? It's mostly because when you're working with a partner, you have to kind of put, keep throwing ideas at each other until you both go, ooh, yeah, that, I that's think so interesting. Too. And so in the parlaying, in the discussing across between Jesse and I or between Jay and I or whatever, I think we're failing faster just by putting the idea out there right? Yeah. Even verbally. And then one of us will say, oh, that sounds cool. I know exactly how to make that mm -hmm. because the other, the other person didn't. Or we'll both go at the same time, oh, that sounds great. Let's do that. Or one person will just by articulating their idea, have enough confidence to say, I now I think I know how to make that. And then we'll make it and we'll see if it has, has like legs, right? To stand on. Yep. So that's kind of cool. Uh, failing faster to me as a teacher is also... I think one of the best ways to learn in general is to, you know, test your knowledge, try to see if you can actually accomplish this thing that you thought you could accomplish and find out how close you can get. Uh, and then figure out, did you get close enough or do you need to get closer and how do you get closer? What's the process uh, by which you're going to get closer? I think and, it's a yeah. cha challenge for new designers, especially because I think if, they, if you don't really kind of grasp that concept of failing faster, uh, then you might be too beholden to your game and, and the current state that it's in. And you might be like in love with it too much and don't want to kill your babies kind of thing. And yeah. so you, and you have maybe high expectations for a game. So there's a lot of nerves and a lot of, you know, yeah. potential rejection that you feel. And I've, I, maybe, the, maybe in the beginning, but nowadays I, I never feel rejection if a game doesn't play test well. Like yeah. I, I, I love it. I, I get energized by it because I'm getting like, ideas of like, oh, I even know it's yeah. broken, obviously, from watching this play test. And I'm like, oh, I know how to make this game better. I get I get goose from it. I'm excited. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I mean, you, you see it when you get new play testers at the table too. Um, people who are not game designers themselves, they'll apologize before they start telling you about how bad of a time they had. And I'm like no. smiling ear to ear. I'm like, no, this is amazing. Keep talking, please, please. In what other ways did you not have fun? Yeah, um, eating this up, it's, this is good, this is good, right? Um, and so, so I just, I just want to quickly step back one, one, yeah. another half step talking about the sort of resistance new designers have to this concept of failing faster. I've been, um, I've been consulting, I guess, a little bit with uh, Ming, who's organizing a, a design workshop for seven-year-olds at oh. an upcoming convention. And Great. so I've been talking with him. Oh, I've been talking uh, with, that's right. And I've been talking with Kathleen and sort of trying to help. Uh, Ming figured out the best way to structure this workshop. And one of the things that came from talking with people who teach kids to design games, I'd asked, um, do we have to like worry about the fact that there's going to be kids with their parents in the room? And the advice I was given was to somehow signal to the parents that they need to let their kids be in the driver's seat because kids have no fear and they will just charge forward and make something. Mm -hmm. But parents, adults are loss averse and they fear failure. And so they're going to be a bigger barrier to actually making something than the kids will. And so just like as adults, we just somewhere along the line, we become worried about 
stepping in a hole and um, falling. Yeah, forever. I think that's something to do with the grading system in public school, maybe. I don't know. Oh, completely, <laughs> completely, completely. <laughs> it, it's an interesting thing because uh, educationally, pedagogically, we, we want to talk about proper attribution for failure. I think it's actually really important. Also in game design to recognize that at, attributing your failure to your strategies, to your techniques at which you made this game, whatever those are, yeah, um, not necessarily your Skill. I wouldn't say your skill or your inherent your inherent you know characteristics. Mm. We don't want to talk about that as being the point of failure. We want to talk about the point of failure as being, um, you know, uh, this playtest didn't work because you know my rules didn't explain the situation well enough, or my components didn't translate the game ideas uh, clearly to the players, or whatever. Identify the point of failure without labeling yourself as a good designer, bad designer. Right, 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 of course. Uh, and I think that will really help people get over the fear of failure and then possibly pinpoint the actual thing that needs to get changed. Strategically, uh, when we talk to students, it's like, oh, I failed because I'm stupid. It's like, no, you're, you're not, you know, but how did you study, right? And how did you prepare for this exam? And how did you, you know, when you were writing your term paper, did you have a thesaurus with you? Did you, what did you use? Did you look at the APA style guide? Whatever it is, uh, you know, there are strategies and techniques that people use and people aren't very good at them sometimes. And that's what they need to identify and attribute the failure to so they can carry on, right? Sorry, Jeff? This is, yeah, so this is actually making me retroactively appreciate your gamification of playtesting even more. Mm -hmm. Because, and especially the like level up badges that you just told us about. Because what you've done is you've created a little bit of scaffolding that will get people to see that the way that you get better at design is by having things break over and over again on the table. And these sort of uh, progress bars that you've made, sorry, I have a dog that's trying to bark, give people indicators of the kinds of practices and behavior that they should be focusing their attention on in order to improve themselves and improve mm -hmm. their design. And they get a reward for it. Yeah, a sticker, um, which is why everybody wanted the stickers. <laughs> so, I, I mean, often in teaching, we will give people examples of things to help them uh, anchor <laughs> concepts. So, Jay, can you tell us about one or more times in which you failed remarkably fast at the playtesting table? <laughs> I think Sen and I know the, the the number one that this is probably even where the gen, the, the concept of failing faster came from from Sen and I, and it was uh, should we say at the same time, Sen? I don't know. Oh, really? Well, I know the, what you're talking about. The dig. Yeah, the dig was horrible. So it, we pretty much were very similar to that anecdote I told earlier about somebody where we came up with a game idea, uh, we kind of plushed it all out, we spent a ton of time on making the cards and the art and getting icons and laying out the cards and and then it was like 23 pages printing it and cutting it up getting it ready for people coming over to play test and it just it was a mess and then nothing worked like we thought it was going to work in our head and we were so discouraged and it was very early in our game design careers prior to anything getting published and we just we never ever picked it up again we were so discouraged with that play test it was it was we just wanted a valuable lesson that it was like we can never get that far again like that's so far into it without having tested it prior to all of that work that we just lost yeah and the thing is that it's not lost work and i think we learned a yeah, lot of course from it. yes of um, course but if we, if we progressed with yeah. it, we would have obviously not lost it, but we were so discouraged and didn't, there was too many things wrong with it to, <laughs> to yeah, and so, more and effort. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, 
So that actually sounds like an example to me of failing slowly. And that's, that's sort of how learned. you got started, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so m maybe uh, can you tell us about something more recent? You as now a more experienced, mm. skilled individual at failing as soon as possible. Um, um, I mean, isn't that every single week, every single play test? Is that, I, I don't know, like as far as like. Well, that's part uh, of it, right? Is having yeah. a regular play test schedule. Um, putting your games on the table every week, not being afraid to put your games on the table in front of people, mm -hmm. with a break and, and see the marvel, like revel in the in the breaking of your game, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you if you go into a game session with an inquiry mindset and you pose some questions for yourself, like how will this break today, and you're expecting failure, I think you're going to come out of that playtest session much better. And this is not being a negative Nelly. This is this is kind of understanding that your game's gonna break, but how's it gonna break? And what solutions are gonna people find? And that's really interesting. And as soon as you turn your brain uh, into a question asking machine, you're gonna be less fearful of the unknown. And I think that's a really positive way to to approach your play test. I think the last time J we failed, Jesse, was with Scions of the Night. And it really wasn't a failure, it's just, it's like, Oh, this isn't working. And we kind of identified after we spent, you know, maybe 20 minutes counting out pieces and counting out little parts to represent, you know, werewolves and vampires and whatnot. Uh, we figured out that we didn't make a big enough map that things weren't, you know, um, diverse enough. And we just, everybody kind of did the same move because everything was equally close. Uh, and so that's what we figured out from that. We still haven't picked it up, but we're going to. And I think a lot of that in terms of picking stuff up and not picking stuff up deals with yeah. what else you have and, on the go. And so that's kind of where I was trying to push you, Jay. So this like little story we had, Sen and I had been bouncing this idea back and forth. I was finally at his house. We were bouncing more ideas. And it was like, Sen, open your box of stuff. Let's just try it. We spent 20 <laughs> minutes getting enough parts out of his box. We put it on the table. And then we were like, wow, that's not fun. And so we spent 20 minutes, not 20 days. Exactly. Um, exactly. And that's what it is to fail faster, right? Yes. Uh, we actually have a question, though, related to this from the audience. So Zach Connolly is asking, when it comes to the fail faster mm -hmm. model, do you suggest stopping and restarting a game when it breaks or adjusting it and continuing on? You mean during a playtest, Zach? Yeah. Yeah, it does, yeah. I think so. I think that's yeah. what It's a great question. And uh, for sure, it's situational. And it depends on how much is broken. If if it's broken in such a way where somebody is maybe at, uh, super far into the lead and uh, other people's uh, motivations are changed because they can't win and uh, there's no way to even compete, maybe it's just, yeah, stop it. Let's tweak these rules to make it a better balance and let's just restart it real quick. That's that's for sure one option. But if it's like you catch it early enough, you're like, well, that's a really powerful thing and it only costs two gold. Uh, from now on, everybody, this costs six gold and you just keep yeah. going. Yeah. So it, it's situational for sure, depending on how, far, how much the game is broken and how far you are invested into the game already. Right. And, and I, so, yeah, go ahead, Jess. I was going to say, and a quick tip related to that, or at least what I do, and it's tied to your sticker thing, is whenever I make a change on the fly like that, um, because someone found something that was undercosted or too strong, I tell them that they have won this game, then I take the card, change it, say, now we're playing another game starting from exactly where we were before. <laughs> That's a good way to position it. That's and if funny. I had stickers, I would totally give that person a gold star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so this is a good time to transition into playtesting from the designer's side. So how does the playtest change from the designer's side? So we're talking about, from Zach's question, is how do we run a playtest session 
where, you know, things are going to break because that's what we're there for. We are there to break things. If it's, if you take a game to a play test session, knowing that it's not going to break, what are you doing? You're, you should put another game on the table, put another game it's, on the table. It's a bit weird because you, in your back of your mind, you always hope as a designer, always, that this playtest is going to be the best playtest of any game that anyone's ever played. Like you always hope, like, oh, this could be because then that's the that's awesome. You're like everyone's like, I publish it now. This is the best game ever. Like you want that, but I mean, obviously, you don't get that because you can't please everyone all the time, and you have to get to that state, and it takes a long time to do that sometimes. Yeah. Also, I don't necessarily know if you need need that, um, whereas you do need to break all your other games. No, you don't need if that, you, but you want that. You like, oh, you want it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In the back of your head, you're like, oh, I hope this is the best play that's ever. Yeah. And it, and it always is the best. <laughs> it is, even if there's failure. Mm -hmm. Maybe especially if there's failure, right? Jesse, you had some questions for Jay directly related to playtesting from the designer's side. Yeah, Jay, I want to talk about cell phones. All right. Yeah, cell phones. How do you feel when you you put a mm. game on the table, you know? When mm -hmm. you, you know, you put Hall of the Mountain King on the table, you're playtesting your new co-op yeah, mode, yeah, yeah. everybody's there, you're very excited. Playtester B's turn goes by, and as soon as they finish their turn, they pick up their phone and they check their email. What's going through your head? Well, Jesse, I mean, cell phones are fine. I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some people have different lives. You can't judge them. I mean, you don't know what's going on with them. I mean, okay, so this <laughs> this, this is obviously an in joke because I I was I expressed some inner angst about people that are on their phones, and it was, I it was, under, it was under angst, Jay. You explained it to everybody. I explained the inner, and then it became an outie. Yes, um, just like your belly button. Uh, uh, that's how I tell my twins apart. I've, one of them has an innie and one has an outie. They're identical otherwise. That's, I think that's kind of funny. Anyways, <laughs> unrelated. Um, but related to you. What I meant from that comment, though, was the extreme cases where uh, someone is like fully on their phone, like so much so that, it, that we have to keep bugging that person. Uh, it's your turn. Oh, oh okay. And they have to ask questions. I'm like, we just explained that. And it gets frustrating when you're not engaged. And I think as a play tester, you expect a certain amount, a uh, level of engagement so that they, you don't have to repeat rules and you don't have to keep bugging them. And then at the end, when they give negative, yeah, the game wasn't that interesting. I'm like, what? And it might be true. Maybe that's why you were on your phone because it was super unengaging gameplay. That's why they were distracted. Um, so I'm not talking necessarily about the people that you're checking and like, uh, especially games that have like, tiling or something where it's like I can't do anything till it's my turn anyway so th th yeah. in those kind of games I, I might check out I also do that as well I'm like oh let me just check what's going on my Kickstarter campaign or what have you so actually that that's a really good point so for anybody that's yes yeah, Zach said put it down Jesse to me and my cell phone so for anybody that's not following along there was a back and forth about this on one of the Facebook groups <laughs> uh, there I think it was in maple syrup shop talk Jay had made a comment about cell phones and I come in and I'd said hey you, just because someone looks at their cell phone, that doesn't actually tell you anything about their engagement level in the game. Um, and so, and Jay basically just said that, right? You just said that it really depends on all sorts of contextual features. Mm -hmm. And so um, since designers like to use the so-called cell phone test as an indicator, it's a very common thing that people will give advice to other people. And we've got a playtesting expert on stream. What are some of the auxiliary cues that help you determine if someone checking their cell phone is telling you something about your game or not that you might look for or think about retroactively when you get that feedback at the end and they say, 
oh, this game was boring. How do you figure out if it was boring, if they were checking their cell phone because it was boring or if it was boring because they're connected to their cell phone? So I'll start chiming in on this one. I mean, part of it's going to be, if you're in a part of playtesting where you're able to observe and sit back and you're not playing, that's when you're going to notice this more. Sometimes when you're a playtester as well of your own game, you're kind of in you know in the headspace of trying to figure out how to win or whatever. Um, but when you observe, you have a chance to observe more. This is where you got to start looking at body language and facial uh, expressions, and you got to check for frustration levels and the, you know noticing the good from the bad frustrations of, or or even to the extreme where they actually get mad. You've seen this at a playtest once where they get mad. This happened for sure to me, where they, they get mad in the sense because they want to do something they can't, but not in a good way. They're like, this is just like this, like almost stupid. Like, I can't figure out why, why can't I trade this? I can trade this, but I can't trade this. Like, this, like I'm screwed now. I can't win. Like, then they get frustrated in a mad way. And so those are, the, if they don't say that out loud, then you have to somehow glean that from their body language and their facial expressions. Yeah, that's really good advice. And that does echo back to the um, interview we also had with John Breger, who's another playtesting of Ficchionetto. And he also stressed the importance of paying attention to nonverbal cues of your playtesters to try and figure out how they're feeling about the game and uh, and how it's going. Yeah, I mean, just to add a couple more points, remember that nonverbal can also be paraverbal, which is all the stuff around um, the characteristics of speech that people have. Um, Go that, on. You know, if they are fast, if they're changing their tone, if they have an excited tone, if they're speaking really fast, that's very different than somebody who's kind of lazily talking about stuff. Lots of times, and those of us who do a lot of observation of people in general for our jobs, we discount the actual content uh, a little bit of what people say after they have had some time to think about it because this is like the thoughtfulness is actually not necessarily what you want. You actually kind of want the visceral reaction, the at the table, immediate response, emotional response. Um, and so sometimes people's paraverbals can actually tell more than the verbals themselves. It's just an interesting thing to think about if you're at that level of observation. Um, that's another thing to look at is how people are talking, not just what they're saying. Can you um, can you give us an example, Sam, like of a uh, something that would be a, a low or poorly engaged person's paraverbal? Oh, so a poorly engaged paraverbal would be somebody who is um, like if you had a transcript of it, it would read the same. But if yeah. you're listening to it, um, it would be yeah, it'd be somebody who would be you know, talking really softly and kind of slowly okay. about it and, and what, not so really they're, interested in it. And, so they're asking a question or they're like, yeah, this, uh, trying yeah. to figure out what to do in this. Yeah, it was, it was, it was okay. It was kind of mad. And they're, they're, they, they, it's almost like every word that's coming out of their mouth sounds like it was mad. It was mad. It was mad. It's very, um, tone wise. They're going to be, uh, similar, uh, mono, like very monotonous in their tone. Uh, their pace will be slower, so their cadence of speech will be slower, uh, things like that. Where somebody who is amped up and even mad about something, I would rather mm. have somebody who's yeah, emotionally sure. invested and mad and can tell me yeah. what they think was absolutely horribly wrong sure, course, yeah. than somebody who is emotionally disengaged from the game. If you uh, think about emotionality in game design, we really actually, because we're curating experiences, we want to know, is it a good experience? Is it, is it a bad experience? What is this experience? And somebody telling us, you know, it was okay or it was fine is like hearing that from your wife, right? Oh, that was fine. It's like, well, then it really wasn't fine, was it? Yeah. And, the <laughs> and you guys know the paraverbals were out fine, right? It's, it was fine. 
which is that pointed right. sort of uh, thing as opposed <laughs> to fine, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so it's a good example. We, we a, yeah, we have a lot of, uh, there's a lot of other cues that you can use yeah. beyond the content of the of the speech itself, yeah. where people who have, especially playtesters who are trying to be polite, they they may not give you great feedback. So just, just can right. consider it, yeah. So so um, we actually have some we have some audience questions that can follow up on this. Uh, so Brad Bachelor was asking if there's any tips for making playtesters feel valued. He's always looking for ways to make the people giving their time feel like they're getting something out of it too. Mm -hmm. The absolute number one way to make your playtesters feel valued is writing down what they say. I think that's part of the heart of why this journal even exists. I don't know if you've ever been to a playtest of another designer, usually a newer designer, where you play their game and uh, this time feedback and you start giving feedback. And I've been at this and they're just listening and nodding or whatever, talking about it. And if this happens, I actually just say, do you want to borrow a pen? Like, do you want to start writing this down? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're looking for some scrap of paper to start writing some of these notes down. I'm like, you got to, like, regardless of the fact whether you're going to do anything with that feedback or not, writing it down shows that you value my input. My It is gold. That's, to me, the number one thing from a... Um, to value your playtesters. Yeah, that's great advice. And if you're asking people to go out of their way to playtest for you, I know something that Sen and I do is we usually feed them. Yep. Um, if we've in, if we've invited people over for an evening of playtesting our stuff, dinner's on us. You know, so little things like that can go a long way too. But yeah. definitely write it down. So active listening is a skill, um, and hopefully, some of you who are more experienced designers are kind of able to do this. Um, one of the key things that I'll do in a session is restating and paraphrasing. So restating and paraphrasing is really simple. Mm -hmm. It's basically taking what the person says and reformulating it into my own language so that I can write it down and then I can confirm with them, is this what you mean? Uh, and you would not, uh, it's, it's not surprising how listened people feel uh, how listened to they feel when they hear you restating their words back to them in a different way. Not just the way they exactly said it, but mm. maybe it's something like somebody said, oh, you know, this card is is too costly. And I might say something like, okay, so what you're telling me is that the cost of the cards that are gold bordered are are, are they coming up too fast and are they, the cost too low? And can you confirm with me, can, can we engage about this, right? Uh, and so para paraphrasing helps us to engage with yep. the person, the player who's giving us the feedback on yep. their terms. And it really helps them feel listened to. So that would be a good one as well as free pizza. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And actually Paige, Paige West is uh, to expand on your write what they say down, Jay, um, says uh, write their name down, mm -hmm. ask them for their name. And like, and if you had like some sort of journal to do that, you would actually have a spot to write yeah. their names down. Right? Right. Because that sends the signal to them that, you know, you were valuable to me enough that I want to make sure I have your name so that I can give you credit for playtesting my game. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, Jamie Jones is saying, I like play testing with people who I know how they play games. So I have an idea of how their personality might affect what their comments uh, are, et cetera, et cetera. That's actually really interesting. I mean, if I had a way, uh, and I probably could make something up of psychographically analyzing each player at the table for their play style, and then Just 
writing down their comments next to it, that'd be interesting. Well, like it, it, it echoes what Zach was asking earlier. He says, how do you deal with playtest feedback? Well, this isn't my type of game. So, oh, I, interesting. Yeah, so obviously, uh, Jamie, he tries to only play with people where he does know it's their type of game, I guess. Uh, but or that, or that he can unpack that answer, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It it uh, it happens all the time. I like I was playtesting last night a, a quick reaction game, and uh, I could tell from the body language and the uh, nonverbal cues, and even the paraverbal cues. Now that I think mm, back, um, that uh, uh, one player wasn't fully enjoying it, and so it gets a bit disheartening and like dis, you know you're a bit discouraged because you're like oh he's not having fun, and then he let it known at the end he's like he goes I do not play quick reaction games I'm like ah I see <laughs> so that's why you weren't enjoying that that aspect of the game like I gotcha and I think that's really fair to to try to understand pe people's motivations because that does directly feed into their uh, feedback of your game right so it might be good to yeah, idea. it might be good to ask them if you're starting to get like really um, I don't like calling it negative feedback because I don't think any feedback is really negative. It's just information. But if you start getting feedback that someone's not really liking your game a lot, maybe just ask them, it's like, are you, what kind of games in this genre do you like? Do you like games like this? And if they say, yeah, I like all sorts of games, then you know, <laughs> maybe your game has some issues that you have to worry about. But if they're like, oh, I hate these kind of games, I'm like, okay, cool. Not that you're going to discredit that uh, information that they got from that, that feedback, but it's, a, it's another piece to the puzzle. Yeah, and I think yeah, a lot actually, of experienced playtesters will tell you that they don't like this style of game, or this is not the type of game. Right at the start of the game, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Jesse, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I actually ask that. No yeah, matter exactly. what yeah, yeah, yeah. I get from people. I, I will usually ask at some point during feedback, is this similar to the kinds of games you would normally play? Nice. That might be a good, um, a good little checkbox in the column there, Jay. It's like, is your style of game and check just, you know. Interesting. Yeah. Um, because sometimes, I mean, it, it, it can be insightful. The reason why I do this is because it's insightful on both sides, right? If they say no, and I didn't really have fun, then I know that I can temper their feedback. They're not really part of the audience. And if they say yes, and they didn't have fun, then mm. I know um, that I'm missing something important. If they say no, and they did have fun, yeah. I focus on what they had fun with because what I've done is I've created a game that's expanding <laughs> the market. That's right. That's right. true. Um, that's actually my favorite thing to find out is that yeah. no, I never play dice games, but man, I really liked this, this, and this. I'm like, that's this it. Super those fun, are right? those are those are my hook. Yeah, we, gotta, we, gotta, gotta, we were fortunate enough to get a lot of that kind of feedback for junk art. People that weren't really into dexterity games, but they're like, but I like junk art, so that was that was nice to hear. Damn. Yeah, that's, that's kind of it. That's kind of its selling feature. Uh, Zach Connolly asks another question: How important is it to test the game often with all of the suggested player counts? Oh, well, that's a great question. I, I mean, <laughs> it's well, it's kind of funny because as you're play testing the game. Uh, depending on what shade you're on, if you're in the early to mid part of the design of this game, it's changing so much that it almost doesn't matter. Just You're just still trying to find the game. It's only once you start getting to the near the end of your uh, playtesting that you have to start really honing in, and you're almost in the development phase of really trying to figure out all the balance issues for your uh, different player counts. Yeah. It's sort of a bookending thing as well. Uh, there are some really critical, critical points of play. Uh, I think, obviously, solo is different than two-player. But then threes, fours, and fives, and sixes, you know, you're kind of looking at slightly different mechanisms depending on, it's actually, some of it's gonna depend on our like card count and resource count 
and whether or not those are hard limits or whether or not you can reshuffle, how many times you're going to reshuffle the deck. Different games play better at different player counts as well. So you have to kind of take those into account. I, I would suggest to, you know, play at the lowest player count an awful lot, play at, you know, the highest player count as much as you can. That's hard though. And really I'm, aim I'm for the middle, aim for the I'm middle. I'm fortunate enough to have a playtesting group of designers. And so we get together every week and we play test each other's games and it's fantastic. And what, one of the things we do is uh, when, when we all get there and we have, we count how many people we have, we're like, who has games to test? And then we say, how many do you need? How many do you need? And we get to say, well, I'd like three. If four would be great, but I'd like three. And then mm -hmm. they're like, okay, you take three and then, then we'll be three over here, two groups of three. Let's do that. And so it's a little bit about <laughs> negotiating as well with your group. Um, if that's how you play yeah. test in a group like I do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Paige, Paige is asking you specifically a question, Jay, about the journal. Uh, have you considered virtual sheets for folks who use tech to take notes? So PDF well, copies and stuff like that. That is currently uh, one of the pledge levels. You can get a PDF uh, version of it for, uh, uh, well, I won't say the money because it's depending on where you are, but I think it's 13 Canadian dollars. Um, uh, so yeah, that's one of the pledge levels. And any other pledge level you pledge at, you get a PDF copy as well. And it'll just be a normal PDF and you can do with that if, as you will. However, I'm already starting to uh, talk with developers to turn this thing into an app and see if that um, is something I want to do. I'm not announcing that necessarily. I'm just obviously in the exploration phase of that. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So um, I just I just want to clear out our backlog. We have one question from a while ago now, but I want to make mm. sure it gets asked. Um, it's a little bit off topic uh, with what we're on, but uh, Guillaume Fauster wanted to know what your go-to method is for making quick quick sets of cards, boards, and other components. How do we get things to the table faster? Oh, that uh, is a good. That actually is relevant. Yeah, I uh, I if I'm trying to think if I do. I don't think. I like I used to do stuff with like cards and like marker and do it, but I haven't done that in a while. I I'm pretty quick with my um, art program. I use Corel Draw, um, and so I can really quickly lay out in the most basic way possible a prototype. Pretty quick if it's if it's just some mechanics and some ideas. Like within an hour, I can have a prototype ready and print it and cut and ready to go, uh, depending on the game, obviously. But this is a true example of uh, the one I just tested last night with a quick reaction. That was very easy and quick to uh, put something together real quick. So, uh, And then it's just, I do a three by three on a printer, print it on cardstock, cut it, put it in sleeves and uh, tokens. Also, uh, whatever the, the easiest thing I, I have. And I have literally a dresser, a full dresser in my office with tons of drawers and each drawer has a different type of component in it. So um, that's another thing that helps me feel faster is just the fact that I have so many things ready to go. If all of a sudden I made a game and I need a sand timer I'm like, and if I didn't have one, I'd be like, oh, I can't play test this until I get one. No, it's in drawer X4. Yeah, it literally is X4. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And this, I think the same thing with us uh, on on my end. I I use um, a program called Lucid Chart to basically churn out cards uh, as quickly as I possibly can. A lot of people use like Nandek or Card Creator um, or InDesign with a CVS um, mail merge, and those are totally fine. Uh, you can do those. Um, for boards, use, we use Rasturbator. We yep, just like saying Rasturbator. Uh, Rasturbator. It's <laughs> Rasturbator. Uh, yeah. Rasturbator.net. Um, Are you a you master Rasturbator? This, do you know about this site, Jay? I don't. Oh, it can take an arbitrarily sized image and convert it into an arbitrarily sized image, but the thing it converts <laughs> it into is broken down into print sheets that are eight and a half by eleven. Yes, with and cut lines. All, with cut lines and right up to Overlap. the mark, so you don't get. Yeah, it's it's really quite nice. Yeah. 
Yep. So okay. basically we make a map in like GIMP or Corel Draw and we want to blow it up to a board. We just throw it into Rasterbader. Oh, it will blow it up and gotcha. give us a PDF that lets us print it out on eight and a half by 11, cut them and tape them together. I see. Well, Corel Draw can do that for me, but I get you. Oh, okay. Wow, man. This old software has some cool tricks. It's brand new. It's not old. It's just been around <laughs> for a long time. It can't come out <laughs> Matt, Matt, I don't say. know if that's impressed or if you just said, wow, I don't know if that's impressed or shame. I'm not sure what it is. I, I think it might be shame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, uh, too funny. so I wanted to ask you a sort of uh, a sideways question. I think it's sideways. Uh, it's inspired by our chat with John Breger. Sorry to keep bringing this guy up, but he was on a few weeks ago talking about playtesting. And one of the things that he kept uh, emphasizing was actually um, thinking about playtesting from a design research perspective gets you thinking about the ethics of playtesting. And so I was wondering if you had any thoughts about what responsibilities we might have as designers to our playtesters. What do we owe them? What things should we take into account when we're asking people to playtest our games? Are there etiquette concerns that might actually stretch into ethical concerns? I That's a really interesting question. I, um, I think it should be it should be all around uh, respect, based all around respect, because uh, these people, these people that are gold and awesome people that have come to either to your house or you've met them at a place to play test, they've decided to spend their time, which some people value more than money, that to 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 play test your game, to sit down and play your game, and then and then offer their input and their feedback about what they liked and didn't like about it. That. If you don't respect that, that's that's going to be breaking some uh, well, some codes and laws, some like uh, not ethics, but just like um, you're, you're obviously not going to be making a lot of friends if you're if you're doing that. Like I think if you and and part of that goes to showing respect where we should talk about value before, as far as like writing writing notes down, really listening, don't be defensive, understanding their perspective. Um, I think that goes a long way. Is that kind of the what you're looking for? Am I on, on the nose there with what you're asking? Or I, I wasn't looking for anything in specific. I yeah, just yeah. wanted to to get you to think about it. I mean, one of the points that John was bringing up was that as designers, we often don't think about this. We don't think about our responsibilities towards our playtesters. And if so, you don't, if you don't respect them, if like you play your game, uh, a couple of ways this comes about. If you go to a game design meetup and you playtest your game and then uh, they give you feedback and then you leave, that's bad etiquette. That's, that's a taboo. Like you have, you have to have a nice balance of playtesting other people's games and you then playtesting your games. That's one thing. Or if you get the feedback and I don't know if you, if you're mean or if you're, if you don't respect your, your playtesters, I think that's just, uh, that's wrong. Yeah. Cool. So this also gives us a, a chance to transition into our last item on our agenda, which is being a playtester. Uh, a lot of us are not just going out and getting people to playtest our games, but we're playtesting games as part of design communities. And so that means we spend probably more time playtesting other people's games than we do running our own playtests. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have any tips, Jay, to get us started in this topic for being a good playtester? Yeah, it's um, A, you should be playing the game to win. So you shouldn't be playing the game to break it or do something wonky unless designers ask you specifically to try to break it in some way, which is possible. But you should play as a competitive in a competitive spirit to try to win the game. And th and this probably goes to more, uh, again, less experienced or newer to the field uh, playtesters, especially even playtesters that have never even played a game before, playtested a game before. It's hard to give this advice to them because they don't necessarily listen to game design podcasts. But uh, the, 
is is to not be afraid to give the feedback that the designers want to hear. Uh, and that's sometimes people feel like they're going to insult somebody by giving any kind of, again, negative feedback, which I don't think that's a, there's such a thing. They, they don't want to say anything bad about your game. And I'm like, if, if there's anything I could say to designers, if, to, to uh, playtesters, try to convince them to say whatever you want. Like, tell me what's what's uh, going on with, with your... Yeah, it'd be kind of neat to actually have that pre-brief with uh, at a playtesting convention where it's like, hey, playtesters, go out there, play games, and tell the give your feedback to the designers. They're looking for you to give them the pressure points. They're looking mm -hmm. for you to give them the pain point. And I think that would be like kind of it would unfetter them. It might make them a little bit too unfettered, but that's okay because on the other side, we'd be saying, hey, designers. You know, just view all feedback as it's coming from a place that they're trying to make your game better. Yeah, they're yeah. trying to help you make your game better. Look I know at it in that light and everything will be good. <laughs> when Sen and I were first starting out and just uh, nothing published, just testing all the time, different games and stuff like that, we, we, we had the same issues and we didn't know people. We were mostly, it was all just friends. We didn't have designer friends back then. And so we were getting the same kind of feedback that I, I know a lot of people get early on. It's like, yeah, it's really good. Good game. And that's about it. And we're like, um. <laughs> and so Sen has a magic question that he'll share with you in a minute. And then uh, another question we would ask often, especially if we invited people over, got them pizza or whatever, and we played three, four, five of our games in one night. The, a great question was, if we had to invest our own money, like twenty, thirty thousand dollars of our own money into one of these games, which one should we focus on? And that Got usually it. highlighted a really like immediately for each person. They're like, this game or this game. No, it's got to be this game. This is awesome or whatever. So that was a, a way to at least get through the shaft and try to figure out what was good. Yeah, and for for me, the magic question is is always about you know what it what is something that you know, if this game had changed uh, from the time you just played it and it was so much better, it was just even just 5% better, what would that change look like, right? And to me, that, that question really gets at, uh, at a personal level. It's like, what's a change that would make it personally better for you? I wanna listen to you. I want you to give me an idea of what would you be doing? What are the behaviors you would be doing that are different than what you did today? Well, what I like about that, Sen, actually, is it, it, it reformats the question so that you're not pointing out what, you, what is bad and what's negative and what you don't like. You're saying, you're trying to put a positive spin on it. You're like, mm -hmm. what would make 5%? Well, if I could do this, this would be, I would like, and that's easier for people to say positive things. I'm like, oh, I want to do this in the game. I, I like, if it, to make it better, I would do this to make it better. And that's easier yeah. for a lot of people to say than a negative yeah. thing. And the other thing about focusing on positives, and a lot of people are like, well, don't you want to focus on the negatives? It's like, yeah. However, if I build the game such that there's no room for negatives, that's that's Ooh, that, does the, that does the same thing. It has the same effect, right? If we focus on uh, the positives, we're not going to have a lot of room for those negatives. Those negatives actually usually get pushed to the wayside just by nature. There's no time left to do that negative thing. Or does it make any sense anymore? Yeah. Right. So a lot of times they just sort of they self-select out uh, by selecting the positive stuff. The negative stuff just kind of ends up hitting the cutting room floor faster. I like what James said. Uh, Jamie said on the uh, chat there. He said, "Playtesters, tell me when my stuff is crap. If you don't and it gets released, I can guarantee people who bought it will tell me it was crap." <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Another, so um, this reflects, uh, I'm just going to tell you about how I'm a play tester. And this is something I've started flagging for designers. I warn them how I'm about to give feedback. I pretend it's my design and I tell them what I would do next because I'm a designer. 
which means I'm providing you. And so I'm just leaning into that. I design games. I think a lot about the design of games. And so the way I'm going to tell you my feedback on your game is I'm going to outline what I think its biggest strength is, what I think its biggest flaw is, and what the next step I would take is in iterating it. I then do that. So there's always this, I, right. I always bracket it like that, but. I agree um, with you to a certain respect, to a certain point on that point. And, and I would say, um, here's what I would do next, but it wouldn't be the full solution. Um, I as, as far as here's what I do next, I would say I would fix um, this chaotic oh, yeah. element here because this part here is a disconnect from yes. any ability to strategize and, and it makes me feel like I'm losing agency and control over my decisions. So that's what I would say as far as I wouldn't say, oh, I would add more of this or do like specifically things. Okay, we're on the same page. Yeah, no, we're on the same page. I don't do yeah. the design. I say yes. stuff like I would strip away this, this, and this subsystem. This is the most interesting part of the game. And I would expand on it. And then yeah. often that starts a conversation. Sure. But, and sometimes um, if they're open to it, they might ask for, and then you can actually get into like a, a, yeah. a brainstorming of actual solutions. If, yeah, if there, everyone's open to that. There's that that commonly held adage of, you know, playtesters are very good at um, noticing the problem, but aren't necessarily good at finding the solution. Depending um, on their level of uh, game design ability. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I think that's that's something you should take with yes. a grain of salt because right. you know, when you play with, you know, other game designers, they're going to probably have a decent solution. Right. But you should notice, know notice, that. Notice how Jay gave his sample feedback. I would remove this system or I would change this because it made me feel like I didn't have agency, mm -hmm. right? Um, and that's a that's a tip for being a good play tester. If you're gonna make a suggestion, make sure you also point to what Why? it is yeah. that you're trying to fix. Yeah, so I'm a rationale hunter in, in anything I do. I wanna know why. Uh, why you're doing what you're doing or why you're suggesting what you're suggesting or why, 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 why. Uh, because that means when your suggestion doesn't work, or if it doesn't work, because likely it, it just won't, I mean, your random suggestion may have some merit, but it likelihood of it doing that is not high. But your reasoning for doing it is still strong. Because I, I want I want you to have, I want it to feel more agency. So I think this would do it. It's like, you play through it and you go, no, that doesn't do it. But I think you're still correct in your assessment mm -hmm that wanting to have more agency would be a good thing at this point in the game. So and Tim I really Brown want is, that rationale. Yeah, and Tim Brown to tie into this is saying, uh, the tough part is to take advice from someone and actually knowing what the problem is when they only give you solutions. And I think uh, to that, I would say, just I would just ask uh, if they're just giving you solutions, like, well, what exactly are you trying to fix? Like, what, yeah. what would that solve for you? What would that, if they're just saying like, oh, you should add more of these monsters in the game, like, what would that fix? And then they would start telling you, just like, I just want to attack more. I want to be in battles more. Okay, so that's okay. Okay, I got yeah. it. You're like, yeah, yes, battles yeah. are fun. People okay. should do them more. Do you approach being a playtester uh, differently if the designer is someone you know is new to designing games or more experienced to designing games? Mm. What's the difference? Uh, when you If you sit down at the table, it's at an unpub, the guy says, hey, this is the first game I've ever made. Mm -hmm. How do you approach that situation differently than if you sit down with Eric Lang? I'll probably ask uh, newer designers what kind of what kind of feedback they're looking for, um, and usually there'll be something like, "Oh, anything." I'm just you know, if you had fun, or like be very vague and whatever. Um, and I think with an experienced designer, um, I, I I don't even know if I don't even. I might ask that question, but I usually just go into giving the the heavy feedback right off the bat. 
Um, but I for sure for a newer designer will try to temper again, not necessarily positive or negative feedback, but I'll I'll definitely make more of an effort for a new designer to point out some of the good things that I liked. I'm like, I really like this system. I thought this was really clever and try to push them up a little bit um, so that they feel like, yeah, this part I really liked. And then this part was really cool. I wasn't well, sure. When you push them, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then I, I there is, it's, it's so interesting. We have a, a designer and obviously play tester in our group. And um, he, for the longest time, he, his feedback that he would give and send those exactly what I'm talking about was super harsh. And, and it came across as super devastating. And even though I wasn't a new designer, I'm hearing this and I'm like, wow, it's just super devastating. But when I could figure out and unpack what he was trying to say, because he also had some ESL issues. So it's just trying to, he couldn't word it in the ways that I was being able to process and understand what he was trying to say. When we finally got figured out, I'm like, that's actually a good, good piece of information there that he's trying to say. I get it. I finally get what he's trying to say. And I had a conversation with him about it. So he understood because he, he had a lot of emotion in it and he was like mad. He's like, he's just, I can't. And, and I, I was thinking personally, uh, when he started giving him like, oh, like, calm down, dude. It's just a game. Like, and, and but now that I understand where he's coming from, uh, it, it, uh, it was a lot easier for me to process that. Uh, right. Feedback. It helps. And Jesse so, actually knows who it is, too, because Jesse's played his games and he's played Jesse's games. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and, so the, I try not to be that person to other newer designers. I try to be the, the, you know, more open and positive words and more uplifting type words to newer designers of like, cool, this is great. I would focus on this. It'd be a bit more vague, maybe. Again, depending on how much, if they start asking questions and they can get specific, maybe I'll go into details, but try to be more high level. And then uh, Jamie I, Jones and Tim are saying oh. stuff about, um, about, uh, you know, as a designer, though, realize that sometimes a tester's suggestion might take the game a different direction than you want to mm -hmm. go. Yep. And then Tim replied, you know, which is why you need to figure out the actual problem rather than all the possible solutions, right? And actually, if and and to tie this to the advice Jay just gave about sitting down with new designers, that question you ask about, you know, what are you looking for? If I find out before the game has started that this person is new or relatively new, I ask then, what's your goal with this game? What are you yes. hoping to learn from this play test? I try and get us started off on that foot. Which is a great to foot. Yeah, to both teach them implicitly that this is the right way to approach playtesting, know what your, have your vision for what your game is, but also know why you're testing it. Um, and then that also helps me make sure that when we get to the end, I can give that positive feedback that actually will build them up. Because mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, you, you if you don't know what, the person's trying to do, you might say, oh yeah, this part's the most interesting part of the game. And to them, it was the throwaway thing that they glued on at the end just to make sure that the game could be played. And so you don't realize it, but you're actually telling them to throw away their favorite part. <laughs> um, and it's interesting when you say about the end actually was interesting because new designers often when they play test want to play test 100% of their game from start to end. And oftentimes if I can tell that the game is not anywhere near uh, completion. It's very early stages, uh, and we're and you play five five phases of the game. You play through five rounds or whatever. And on the second or third round, I'm noticing that there's no story arc to this game, and there's no escalation. I'll I'll, I'll often ask. I'm like, is there anything, any experiences in this game that we haven't yet experienced that uh, would benefit you if for continuing this playtest? And most of the time, they're like, no, it's the same. It's just more rounds. Okay, well, can we move to feedback? Uh, sure. And it usually surprise them because they expected to play the end. But this is, again, going back to that um, ethics question you had as far as respecting your playtesters and their time. And if it's going to be, if you're not going to get any more out of it, and uh, then try to, end, if you're the designer, try to end your game whenever you've got enough information mm -hmm. that you don't need to continue. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Uh, just circling back to Jesse's point about vision, I think something that 
you know, every designer should have uh, at some point before they put it in front of other people is maybe take five, 10 minutes and make a vision doc um, just so you know what your vision is so you can stick to it when people are giving you contradictory feedback and you're like, well, really, does that fit? Because I know, I know Jay and I, uh, when we started out, we just sort of incorporate everybody's feedback. Oh, everyone. Please everybody. <laughs> we would try to please everybody. Yeah. And then we realized soon, you know, hopefully sooner than later that, oh, we really can't do that because we just went back on 20 iterations to to make one person feel good about the dragon that's attacking them right, or but, whatever. But one time it worked into in our favor when we had a uh, partner game about juggling. And it was a total two, four-player partner game about juggling. And uh, we got one feedback saying that didn't really jive with a the theme that we had about juggling. It was like cats and different things you were juggling. He was expecting a goofy game. So we ended up saying, well, how can we make a goofy game with juggling? You can't expect people to physically juggle. And we're like, well, maybe you could like be dexterity or something. You could be balancing stuff or something. And then it turned into Junkart. So sometimes feedback is great. Um, <laughs> oftentimes it's great. In fact, it's, it's kind of what you need. It's it's your it's your mana from heaven, really, right? So yeah, I, I think a lot of people are confirming Jay, like Jamie Jones is saying, I've taken prototypes off the table after only one turn yeah. because he had enough info to know that there wasn't enough there. Great. I, I think that is a lot of our alpha testing between the three of us. We like we'll put something on the table. Five minutes later, it's gone because we know mm -hmm. it's not ready to be shown to anybody else. But we needed to try it. You, you and, still need to try it, right? And and if you're a newer designer here, like if you got an alpha game, try to do that as a solo playtest if you can. Try not to, uh, you know, if you're new to game design, do that yourself. Get the alphas uh, out of the way until you can get to beta, if you can. Yeah, uh, Tim yeah. Brown is saying I always make sure to tell new designers that they don't have to take any of our advice if it doesn't fit with what they want for the game. Yes, that's great advice. That's yeah, the yeah. idea of, of having a a vision document. So having the new designers kind of come up with a vision document. I yeah, think, I I'm not a game. sure if I'm going to be in Atlanta. Maybe I'll do a vision doc Atlanta thing. I, I play tested a game last night of another designer, and it had some take that elements in it, and it it, it rubbed me the wrong way with the um, resource and building things kind of aspect. And so I gave that feedback. I said personally, I'm not a person that a player that likes that kind of thing in a game. Um, so I, I would offer some other um, solution to that and do something different with that. That's just my feedback and echoing that uh, Tim is saying, and you might not want to change that if that's you enjoy that part, but I don't like that part. Cool, cool, cool. So it is after 10. So let's do one more plug for the failing faster, fail faster, the playtesting journal from Jay Cormier. Uh, it is available on Kickstarter now. You can order it for Canada. You can order it for the States. I think you're going to be delivering it around the world and back again. It's got lots of cool stuff. And it'll have even more and more different stuff than what you see right now in the foldouts. I think a lot of that is going to change. There'll be stickers. There'll be all sorts of stuff that Jay doesn't even know yet because the campaign is not over and it's it's only over once they spend all their bad news. Mm -hmm. Well, and we actually, uh, thanks to actually a little bit of, from you guys, uh, came out, I came up with a new idea of uh, if we get to the end of any of the rows in those progress bars, all the stretch goals, I added a red trophy. And every time yeah, we get I saw a red, the red trophy, anytime we get a red trophy, we're going to have a vote of what new content we're going to add. Uh, and we're going to get, uh, uh, so one of them is going to be a meeple syrup uh, related event thing. It was the uh, contract checklist, which is really cool. Uh, one yeah. was going to be a blind play test uh, uh, feedback form. And another one 
is going to be a milestone page so you can keep track of all the key dates of your game and follow like the life of your game. I've got two more for you too. Oh, great. Sure. And I linked this to you just a a bit ago. So a vision uh, survey to help you figure out the vision of your game, uh, which I've just sent you the document. Uh, Jesse and, and I use it every time we develop another person's yeah. game. So, cool. I, so basically, it's a, it's a smaller it's a smaller version of the survey we give to development projects uh, people, so we can find out what their game is about. And the other one is a life after testing page. So just a a quick little one page guide to get you off to get you to step off the dock into the world of pitching. What's the next? Ah, uh, yeah, great. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So, but so we get to unlock uh, one of those each time we get to the end of any of those rows. So check out the uh, campaign and the stretch goals for that. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So our next show, uh, just for all of you out there in Meet the Surf Land, uh, to remember, tune in next week when we'll have Matt Holden here. Matt is from the Indie Games Alliance, uh, which is a company that helps indie game developers and publishers kind of get off the ground with you know bulk rates and special deals and they have convention presence and teachers and all that kind of stuff. So we'll have Matt on to tell us all about what his services can do for you, uh, which will be very cool. If you want to reach out to us, you can find us at the Meeple Syrup Show. Um, You can find us at Meeple Syrup Shop Talk on Facebook. We're here live every Wednesday from 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, You can reach us on Twitter. Yeah, make sure you share with your friends who are designers. 915 uh, followers of the maple syrup page. If we get to a thousand, I have to do something interesting. Yeah, I don't know what, something interesting. Wow. We get a red trophy? Maybe. We get a red trophy. Yeah, and uh, if you want to find Jay, you can find Jay at J on Twitter. You can find him at Bamboozle Bros on Twitter. Uh, and you can find him probably on his Kickstarter page for the next seven days, <laughs> hitting F5. Just F5, 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 F5. F5. <laughs> refresh, refresh, refresh. That's right. Cool. Uh, Jay, any last minute advice for our our listeners? It's if it's all about playtesting, it's it respect, it's just all about respect. Uh, take notes. Use a journal if that's what you need, but just do anything you can to take notes and respect your and then treat them like gold. Treat them absolutely like gold. And and don't meaning don't be defensive. Be open to every piece of feedback. Don't have to act on it, but be open to hearing everything. That's a great comment because being defensive really does turn people off. Giving you any feedback ever again. I was um, in a place where they they kept defending uh, my, their their purpose and their choices, and uh, it just shut me down. I'm like, okay, internally, I'm saying like, all right, well, I'm not giving any more feedback anymore. Yeah, why, why would you waste your time, yeah. right? Yeah, just just to beat that down, probably not. Jamie Jones says, take all the testers' comments and ideas, write them all down, and read them all over again later. That's mm. a great piece of advice, Jamie. Uh, that's actually what I do is I'll write it all down, um, I'll write notes about it, and then I'll let it sit for like a day or two and I'll read it later. Uh, So that helps a lot. Good stuff. And everybody else, uh, we're gonna say goodbye now. Goodbye, Sir Bob. Goodbye, Jamie Jones. Goodbye, Sean Ross. Goodbye, Tim Brown. Goodbye, Goodbye, Brad Bachelor. Goodbye, John Paul DeCoste. Goodbye to Shem Phillips. Goodbye to Zach Connolly and everybody else out there who's been watching Matt Paquette, Guillaume Foster, uh, Paige West, Everybody out there in Meeple Syrup Land, we'll see you here next week when we have Matt Holden from the Indie Games Alliance, and hopefully Erica will be back on point as well. All right, we'll see you all later. Bye. Bye. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Meeple Syrup Show. If you'd like to support us on all of our projects, 
please check out our Patreon page. We can be found at www.patreon.com backslash maple syrup. Until next time, make some great games.